I just first want to thank the decoys for coming. Mark and Pat, it's always great to have them. And Awana is a great program, and I think they have a display in the back, so they certainly would appreciate you visiting them after. And if you want to get involved in a great and lively program, I can't think of a better one if you want to impact lives for Jesus Christ than Awana. So I want to thank them for being here. Before I go into the message this morning, I have a brief statement, a short statement that I would like to make. I'm going to read it so that I get it right. A little over a year ago, I made a statement that America is under judgment. I had laid out both biblical as well as circumstantial reasons for this. I am convinced that this statement is still absolutely true. The Supreme Court decision in late June legalizing and promoting gay marriage certainly was a slap in the face of God and his design for men and women and what constitutes a healthy family unit, the chief building block of society. Also, our deal with Iran was an outright slap at the Abrahamic covenant, which God gave way back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. He said this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. The Iran deal not only puts us in the direct path of God's judgment for forsaking Israel, but also puts Israel in harm's way. My guess is this may be part of what the four blood moons were about, warning Israel, among other things. You saw the final blood moon, of course, last Sunday evening. I also said a little over one year ago that this last September there would be a major economic calamity coming upon America. Certainly there has been much, much economic upheaval in the world. In fact, some people have reported as much as 5 to $11 trillion has been wiped out worldwide in the economic markets. But, and that's happened in these last several months. But yet in America... The previous calamities of September 2008 and 9-11-2001 have yet to fully materialize here. I truly apologize for my error in believing that the signs, both internally to me and externally, pointed to a collapse of the American stock market this last September. I pray my error will in no way negatively affect your belief in God or in Jesus Christ or what is happening or what is to come upon this nation and this world. My miss on September is an example of human fallibility, not divine fickleness or impotence. Again, I am deeply sorry if there is any confusion that I have caused in my previous statement of over a year ago. I appreciate you listening to that. I really do. Thank you. I appreciate that. This morning, I would like to continue our our study in the book of Ephesians. And I think it's apropos for this morning. I want to talk to you about real blessings, real blessings. Father, I just thank you for each person here. And JJ prayed this morning that there'd be mercy in the house. And I, I thank you for your mercy in the house. 
And I just ask now that you would fill me up from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, that I would speak your words, truly speak your words. I ask that, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have out of your word this morning. And I just thank you in Jesus' precious name. John, can you play the video? We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. For prosperity. We pray for your Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near?
Blessings, it's certainly something that we all want. We tend to think of blessings, of course, in something as physical and tangible. We receive something that we've been seeking or, or wanting. My question to you this morning, though, is how do you know for certain that the blessing that you think is a blessing is really from God? You know, so often we'll say that this new car This new house or this new job, well, that's really a blessing from God. You know, as I get older, I'm not so sure about that. Let's say, for example, you bought a lottery ticket, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that you should, okay? But let's just say you bought a lottery ticket, and lo and behold, you win the grand prize of $10 million. Most people would say to you, wow, that is an incredible blessing from God to you. Wouldn't they? Now, I'm not so sure about that. In fact, numerous secular studies have been done on people who have actually won the lottery, and they have found out so often that many people say who have won the lottery that they wish they never won the lottery, that it it has completely not only destroyed their own life, but it has destroyed their family life. The truth of the matter is, biblically, something can be both a temptation and a test at the same time. The Greek word used is periosmos, and periosmos can be either translated temptation or it can be translated test. So going back to our lottery example, it is possible that Satan would actually finagle the balls that come out of the, you know, the lotto balls that come out of the chute, and they happen to match your numbers exactly. Now, if this were to happen, it wouldn't be because Satan loves you. It wouldn't be because Satan wants you to be happy and that Satan just, you know, wants to bless you. The reason why he would have you win the lottery is because he wants to destroy you. He wants you to take your eyes off of God, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and that he and he alone can truly bring you life and contentment and peace on the inside. Now, on the other hand, God would allow this to occur in your life. He would allow it to occur in your life to be a test. And the test would be this. What would you do with that $10 million? What would you do if suddenly you won the lottery? And again, I'm not suggesting you should play the lottery, okay? But if you do, give 10%. No, I'm kidding. But (laughs) what would you do with that $10 million? Would you use it ostensibly on yourself? And for your dreams and your desires? Or would you say, Lord, I received this $10 million. It's yours. It's not mine. How do you want me to use it? How do you want me to advance your goals, your kingdom priorities? The question is, what would you do with it? You know, as we move to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it starts off like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual 
blessing. And then Paul's going to list in verses 4 through 14 all of these blessings. In, the ver- in, the, in verses 4 through 14, every blessing that you see, you can know for certain comes from God. These are true, genuine blessings that God wants to give the believer. In fact, the Greek word there for blessing is eulogia. We get eulogy from it, and it literally means to praise. It can mean blessing, or it can mean benefit. You know, so often people wonder, you know, if I come to Christ, what are the bennies, right? What are the benefits do I get for Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked that question? Sure you have. We all have wondered, what are the bennies for following Jesus Christ? And Paul's now going to give them to us in verses 4 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to go through them really quick. So, John, can you put those up? Maybe he doesn't have them. You got those verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. He doesn't. So I'm going to actually read them out of the Bible, which is always a good thing to do. It's a good thing to bring your Bible and I want you to see now, listen to these. It's, and if you do have your Bibles, turn there with me. But listen to this now. Here are the benefits to the believer. Verse 3. We've already heard verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing. Now listen to this. Verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything, everything together under the authority of Jesus Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And, you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would be for the praise of his glory. Now, as you hear that, what stands out to you? I'll tell you what stood out to me. There is nothing in verses 4 through 14 about material promises. There's nothing about houses. There's nothing about cars. There's nothing about great jobs. There's nothing about protecting you from your enemy. There's nothing about the American dream. It's not in there whatsoever. None of those are promised to the New Testament believer. You know, 
And what I find interesting as a pastor is if you, you know, listen to religious radio and television land, so many preachers and teachers you will find will go to the Old Testament and they will prove that God wants to bless you materially, that God wants to bless you physically, that God wants you to have a wonderful, happy, and healthy life here on planet Earth. And let me tell you something. There are several problems with doing that. And I'd like to point out just three of them. The first problem is this. The blessings that you read in the Old Testament were made to the Jews and the Jewish nation. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. So anyone back here 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, when the Jews signed that covenant called the Mosaic Covenant... See, so when you go back into the Old Testament and you go into those blessings, remember that they were for the Jews. It was a conditional covenant, and it was called the Mosaic Covenant. The second thing that I want to point out to you is that when these teachers and preachers, you know, preach about all of these blessings, you know, uh, they don't tell you that, by the way, if the Jews didn't hold up their covenant part of the promises, you know what happened to them? Cursed. They were smoked. They were smote by the living God. See, they don't tell you that what happens if you don't, and the Jews didn't live up to their covenant uh, part of the deal. Let me show you, for example, what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Anyone here doing their devotionals from Deuteronomy chapter 28? It's actually kind of an interesting chapter. I want to show you the blessings first. All right, so here's what would happen to the Jews if they were actually faithful to the Mosaic Covenant. He said, if you full, here's God speaking to him now. If you, the Jews, obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commandments that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and bread baskets will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, it will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They, they will attack you from one direction, but they will be scattered you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. That's awesome stuff. So this was promised to the Jews. These are the blessings. Now, John, can you put up the curses for us? All right, here's what's going to happen, though, if the Jews did not obey God and did not fear God. If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commandments and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Now watch this. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and bread baskets will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be cursed. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. The Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land and you're about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, fever, and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought and with blight and with mildew. These disasters will pursue you until you die. The skies above will be as yielding as the bronze and the earth beneath as hard as rain. And if you don't obey me, the Lord your God, Guido, will come and he will break both of your legs and you can read the rest of it. 
I think you kind of get the idea of what's happening here. So often, though, we hear preachers, and they embellish the promises and the blessings, and they say, oh, the Lord wants to bless you, and if you give a seed faith offering, he's going to give you a thousandfold, and he's going to give you a great job, and he's going to give you a great house and a great car, and you're going to have a wonderful and perfect spouse. Have you ever heard when they'll say, but if you do not obey the Lord your God by giving a seed faith offering, if you do not fear it, he will smote you. He will smote you with poverty. He will smote you with sickness. He will smote you with all kinds of calamity. You will die of a very horrible, horrible, very, very bad death. Enemies will pillage and plunder you. Yes. Praise be to the Lord God. Anybody ever hear any preaching like that? No, you see, you don't hear any preaching like that. And the third thing I want you to understand about the blessings and the curses, they weren't individualistic, by the way. They weren't individualistic. They're nationalistic. Let me just give you an idea. Let's say there's me, okay, I live on a farm, and then we'll say Matt Molossi lives next to me, okay? Now, I'm a pretty good guy. We can all see that. And I'm obeying God, and I'm following the covenant. So what that means is, as most people would interpret it, that means God's going to have rain come on my crops. My crops are going to grow really hot. No pestilence. No enemies are going to come against me. But Matt, on the other hand, well, he's kind of a jerk. Now, remember, he's right next to me. So what's going to happen to him? He's not going to have any rain on his crops. You know, he's, the pestilence is going to come. God, I mean, God is going to smote the Molossi household. Is that the way it worked? No, no. See, you, either Israel was all blessed or they were all cursed. The truth of the matter is that's why leadership matters. If the king was good, if the high priest was good and the priests were good, and they obeyed the covenant, and they taught the people to obey the Mosaic covenant, then Israel, all of Israel was blessed. But on the other hand, if the king was evil, and the high priest, and the priests were evil, and they did evil, and they taught the people to do evil, then all of Israel would be cursed, and they would be cursed with those things. So I just want to point that out about the blessings and the curses that you see in the Old Testament. Now, I very quickly, in just the few moments that we have left, I just want to begin to look at some of the incredible promises, the incredible promises that we have as New Testament believers. We're going to see the first one in verse 4. It says this, Paul states in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, for he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, if you understand this blessing and you let it sink in, it meets the greatest emotional need psychological and spiritual need that we all have, and that is the need to be wanted, the need to be loved and wanted by our parent. You know, so often, so many people struggle in lifetime because they never really felt like they were wanted or they were loved by either their father or mother. You know, psychology will call it the father wound or the mother wound. And because of this wound that we had, because we didn't get the blessing and we didn't feel approved, so many of us, all of our lives, we feel like we have to achieve and we're striving to prove our value and worth to everyone around us because we never really felt loved or wanted by our parents. Paul, though, says something just absolutely incredible in verse 4. Listen to what he says. He says that God the Father chose the believer. He says that God the Father chose the believer. The Greek word is eglegomai. 
And it literally means to select, to choose, to make a special choice. Do you understand that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't just happen. God actually pursued you. He wanted you. He wanted you on his team. You don't just become a believer by accident. God, the Father, wanted you and chose you and pursued you and wanted you on his team. You know, growing up, one of the greatest fears that I had was in being chosen last in a pickup football game. You know, during the fall season, every Saturday almost, we would gather in the park. There'd be about, you know, anywhere from 14 to 20 guys And I was usually on the younger side. And what we would do is the two best guys would be chosen captains. And one at a time, they would begin to pick, you know, various guys. And my great prayer was, I wasn't even a believer, but I knew there was a guy. And I said, oh, God, just don't let me get picked last. And all of a sudden, there'd be about three people left, and I'd be one of them. And then the two captains would do something like this. They'd go, you know, none of these guys are any good. And then one of the captains would say, but you know what, I'll take Smitty. Smitty's decent, and I'll give you Ray and Jones, all right? I'll give you Ray and Jones. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like not to be wanted? Do you know what it's like not to feel like anybody wants you so ever? And then to add insult to injury, the captain would say to me, you know, Ray, why don't you be center? Why don't you hike the ball to the quarterback? Certainly you can't mess that up. You know, and that was just brutal. And so many of us, like I said, we've never really felt wanted. Whether it was by our parents, whether it was by our father or mother, or maybe we, you know, find ourselves in a situation, like at our job, and we feel like nobody wants us there. We feel like nobody really values or approves of us. Some of us never can get out of high school. Have you ever noticed that? And, 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 and we're just fixated in high school, and high school has all these niche little groups. And you know what? We couldn't fit into any one of those groups. We so desperately wanted to fit in one of those groups, and no one really wanted us. Do you know what that's like? So many, I mean, people are just marred for life because nobody wanted them in high school, and they couldn't fit in a certain group in high school. Some of us find ourselves right now in a marriage, and we really feel like, Our partner doesn't really want us or value us or care about us. Do you know what that's like? To think that your partner is just putting up with you? That goes right to the heart. But you know what? Sometimes in life, those things happen and those things can't change. And here's what Paul is saying to the believer. though. He's saying that, now listen to what he's saying because it can change your life. If you're really a follower of Jesus Christ, then it wasn't by accident. God, the Father, the most important person in the universe wanted you. The most important person in the universe, God wanted you and he chose you. And to emphasize this point, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 5 of Ephesians 1. Listen to this now. In love, he, God the Father, predestined us, that is determined in eternity past, that we would be adopted as his sons or daughters through or because of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, Paul says this. Now listen, watch this. It's fantastic. Because it was his good pleasure and will to do so. Now, you know, adoption, 
In our culture, we view it kind of in a negative way. It means you're a second-class citizen. It means that your biological parents didn't want you, and they threw you off on someone else. And, you know, because you're not blood, you're second-class. But see, Paul's not writing from our perspective. He's writing back in the Roman culture and from that perspective. And do you realize that in Rome, one of the highest honors you could have would be to be adopted by someone because it means that you were wanted. It means that you were actually chosen. The father who usually did the adopting, what he would do is if he decided he liked, and it was usually a son, but if he went and he saw some son that he was really impressed with, he would adopt that son. And do you know what's true? The adopted son, get this, the adopted son would have greater privileges and blessings than the natural son, the physical son in that family. Can you believe that? That's because the father actually chose the other son. You see, the biological son, he just kind of popped out of the wife's womb. He was stuck with that one. See, we don't think of it that way. See, you don't have a choice as a parent. You're just kind of stuck with your kid, okay? Right? But here in adoption, no, it's in a marvelous thing. So we don't look at it that way. In Rome, the father, if he picked you out, it's because he wanted you. He wasn't stuck with you. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. The God of the universe, if you are a believer, chose you. He picked you and he wanted you. Okay, so very quickly, I just want to go now to the challenge. The challenge is this. The challenge is, you know, we have seen that there's some absolutely incredible promises and whatnot. Just some incredible, I mean, our spirits really, if we understood it, our spirits should literally be soaring. So what should be the, what should be the result? If I really realize that I'm chosen and that I am adopted and God, the universe, really wanted me, what should be my response? And Paul says in verse four, he says this, that you should be holy, that I should be holy, and that you should be blameless, and I should be blameless. What does it mean to be holy? I hope by now we understand what it means to be holy. The Greek word is hagias, and it literally means to be separated. It means to be consecrated. It means to be dedicated, in this case, to God. Completely and totally dedicated to God. Have you ever in your life, have you ever in your life said, Lord, here I am. I am completely and totally yours. I have de- today, I consecrate, I dedicate myself to you 100% to your kingdom and to your glory. I am no longer going to be in this world whatsoever. I will not give my body over to the things of this world, to the priorities of this world and the values of this world. And if a gunman comes to me like an organ and says, are you a Christian? I will say yes. I will say yes. A century ago, there was a famous evangelist by the name of Dwight L. Moody, and he was challenged with these words. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man or woman who is fully and totally consecrated to him. And Dwight L. Moody, listening to that, said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And he was. So what's the cost? What's the cost to really being holy and dedicated and consecrated to God? Paul tells us, you must be blameless. I must be blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? Let me just attack it this way real quickly. 
The world is not blameless. You know why the world's not blameless? Because the world ostensibly lives for itself. It lives for itself in its own selfish things, in its own selfish wants and desires. That's what the world does. The world lives for itself, and it's not blameless whatsoever. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. This is the King James Version. I love it. Here's what it says. Peter is writing to Christians who are being suffering and persecuted. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called. I love that. Peculiar. Are you a peculiar person? How many here like to be a peculiar person? See, we don't like that. You know what that means? It means to be different. He's calling us to be different. You know what troubles me about American Christianity? So many people want to be a cool Christian. You know, my daughter, she's in Pittsburgh. She goes, Dad, there's a whole section of cool Christians in my my church. I said, really? What are they? Well, she said, you know, they wear tight clothes, you know, like like the world does. They get tattoos, you know, kind of like the world does. They, they, They listen to the same music the world does. They watch the same television programs that the world does. And I said, Well, then how are they any different than the world? And more than that, I have actually gone to churches now that actually play secular music as worship music. No, I am deeply grieved by what's going on. They're putting up secular movies, and and, and they're they're commenting on them as if there's deep theology there or something. I I got a newsflash here as I am. Let me give you the newsflash. The newsflash is this. I lived in the world. I lived in the world, and I can tell you I came out of the world because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't work. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to give you peace and contentment in here. Do you know what the world's waiting for? Here's what the world's waiting for. They really want to know if Jesus Christ is real. They want to know if God is really real. They're looking for a person who really has satisfaction in their... When things aren't going right, because by the way, in this world, it's a fallen world, and things generally won't go right, and they're waiting to see someone who really has peace and contentment and satisfaction in here when the things aren't going right. We learned this morning that, Papa, if you're a believer... If you are a believer, listen to this now as I finish. Then you were chosen. You are now his child. And you carry, you carry his great name. Let us start living like it. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that we'll really think about these things. They can be life-changing things. They have nothing to do with the outworld world. They have nothing to do with our circumstances. They have everything to do with being wanted by the God of the universe, being chosen, being picked out, and now being called a son or daughter of God. So often no one can answer the question, who are you? Who are you? And we say, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a carpenter, or I'm a mother. And it's what we do. What happens when we can no longer do those things? 
Are we nothing? Or when we're forced to retire? But you tell us, no. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am his son and he is my papa and nothing can change that. Oh Lord, may we walk out of there with that. Amen.